I'm Siri Lindley, two-time world champion, author, speaker, animal activist, survivor, and thriver. I have found a way to overcome every challenge and to take the impossible and make it possible. On my podcast, we're going to talk real life. We're going to get vulnerable. We're going to go first. You're not alone in your fears, your doubts, or your worries. The most successful people in the world have them. Stick with me on this journey. I will help you harness your power, claim your magic, and create the life that you dream of. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bedhead Chronicles. I am so excited to share today's guest with all of you. Richard Newman is a founder and CEO of Body Talk. Richard is an award-winning writer and keynote speaker. He's been featured on TV and radio, and he has assisted one of his clients to generate an additional $1 billion in revenues using his communication techniques. Richard is super passionate about communication. And what's amazing is as a child, he was a total introvert, very, very shy, and he is high functioning autistic. Richard is one of the most inspiring men His story is inspiring, and what he will teach you today is so incredibly powerful. So Richard, welcome. I just think you are such an extraordinary human being, and the work that you're doing in this world is not only so incredibly impactful, but so inspiring. So thank you so much, Richard, for taking the time to be on the Bedhead Chronicles. Well, thank you so much. And that, that means a lot coming from you because you're, you're such an inspirational figure. And we've had a wonderful conversation uh, in the past. So I really appreciate that uh, to be here with you and your listeners. Now, Richard, I'm so inspired by your story. And there's some stuff that I can relate to, which, of course, makes it even more uh, impactful for me personally. But for everyone, I know growing up, you were an introvert, you were incredibly shy, and you are autistic, mm. yet here you are teaching highest level CEOs and hundreds of other people how to communicate. Mm. How did that happen? How did you go <laughs> first in saying, I'm going to take this, and instead of it being something that holds me back, I'm going to have it take something that affects other people's lives in this incredibly powerful way? Yeah, it's it's a good question. And for, for me, there's a huge journey behind that. So I'm 44 uh, today, and the journey sort of started today? for me. Uh, uh, no, no, not today. Not, it's not my oh. birthday today, but I'm 44 now. And uh, But the journey started four, 40 years ago when I was four years old, when I started to get this sort of curious feeling that there was something... Uh, different about me. Uh, so what happened was when I was four years old, I went to school, I enjoyed myself, had a little gang of friends, and then moved school, started this brand new school. And uh, I, I remember distinctly at the start of the day, feeling really excited, thinking, wow, new place, new adventures. And then my next memory is that I was, uh, I was sitting at a table, you know, those little tiny chairs and little tiny tables. And I turned to somebody around uh, the ne- next to me and tried to talk to them and, and they didn't want to interact. 
And I spoke to the person on the other side and no, no reaction, tried to talk across the table and nobody would engage with me. And I started to think, ah, oh, there's something, there's something off here. There's something wrong with me here. I can't interact with other people. What, you know, what's going on here? And I, I burst into tears, just felt completely alone, uh, just four years old. And the teacher came over and said, don't worry, it's your first day of school. That's what always happens. You know, you'll make friends. And uh, I remember going out into the playground later that day and looking for my sister. And my sister was there having made friends. And so she and I had started this new school the same day. She was two years older and, you know, maybe had better social skills and she'd made friends. But then my brain said, oh, she made friends and it's her first day. I didn't. Is there something wrong with me? Like there was a little voice in my head at that age. And so anyway, since that, that point, I started to, to, to really look at communication and I started to realize other people were more in a flow of communication. They would go into social encounters, conversations and just be able to do it. And I would get stuck and just feel clunky and think I have something to say and I can't figure out when and how to say it. And why is that? And it got to the age of uh, 16 where I then was given a book on body language by a friend of mine. She said, I really think you should read this. It's, you, you need this. And so I read it and was utterly amazed and blown away by it and started to think, wait, is this the thing? This is the thing that everybody else seems to know. They intuitively know that the words are not everything about communication. There's tone of voice, there's body language, there's all these pieces. And so I realized I wanted to study this. I wanted to get passionate about it. And so I uh, did something quite unusual where I uh, aged 18, I'd never been overseas without my parents before. And I went off to India to live in the foothills of the Himalayas in a Tibetan monastery uh, with this group of Tibetan monks who were in exile and they were needing to connect with the out outside world. So they needed to learn English. Uh, but the big challenge being when I got there, I realized they didn't speak any English at all. They spoke Tibetan, Nepali and Hindi. And I spoke a bit of French and I spoke a bit of German, but there was no language to connect with. And so I thought, well, how am I going to teach you? How am I going to connect with you uh, when we have no words to do that? And so very quickly, I realized the only way to do this was through body language and tone of voice to try and figure out a way of communicating with each other. And then we would do lessons in their kitchen each evening. They'd go out and do prayers in the town during the day and then come back and using candlelight in the evenings is really amazing meditative sort of spiritual experience. And we would do these lessons where I would just use body language and tone of voice to try and express parts of the English language and they would pick them up and start to use them. And by the end of six months, they were having a good conversation with me in English. I learned how to speak Nepali, which was the main language of the area. And I came back to the UK thinking that I was so fascinated by the, the depth of which I'd started to understand body language. And then I studied acting for three years in London. Uh, but uh, th and that started to give me that sense of, okay, there's things that you can do. As an actor, you can do certain things through storytelling and stage presence to help people feel things, the person on stage with you, the person in the audience. And so it was giving me this toolkit of skills that I could start to use. And then I uh, had the opportunity, my hairdresser gave me this opportunity to teach people. He said, wow, I love your story. Come and teach people. Come and teach my hairdressers how to have good communication skills. And I didn't know how to do that. And he said, no, you'll figure it out. And so I went to teach these four London hairdressers. They were sort of teenagers, a little bit of uh, street cred attitude that was going on. And I was quite nervous, but I did this session. They loved it. And they called me back to do another one. 
And then I got this phone call from this engineering company. And this guy said, I just had my hair cut today. And I've been told you're the, uh, the best communication trainer in the country. Come and teach my engineering company. So I, I taught him and word of mouth just kept on spreading. So a hundred thousand people later, you know, I'm still going with this team of 20 people. It's all been built up by through recommendation, referrals uh, through this time. But gradually also through this time, I was still starting to think, I really feel like I see communication differently. I think that's been one of the superpowers behind the business. I've never really seen it as like a limitation. I've just thought I'm introvert and shy. And there seems to be something else that's going on that allows me to see communication in a way that other people don't. Other people sort of see a flow of things. And I see a wall with very specific bricks. And you can tell if all the bricks are in the right place, communication works. And if one of the bricks is missing, it doesn't work. And that's what I've always been analyzing in my mind of trying to figure out how do I engage with neurotypical people? And eventually it's been something that's building up over the last sort of three or four years, uh, is, uh, which my, my wife nudged me towards because she, she's a doctor. She was sort of more familiar with this idea of maybe getting a diagnosis and it was only less than six months ago that I started the official diagnosis process towards high-functioning autism and realizing what that means. And for anybody who doesn't know what it means, essentially what it is, is that from my perspective, like, there's a huge spectrum here. So people who have many greater challenges than me. But from my perspective, two people with high-functioning autism can communicate brilliantly with each other. And two people who are neurotypical can communicate very well as well. But then when you get a high functioning autistic person with a neurotypical person, that's where the challenge comes up because there's a different way of seeing the environment, seeing the experience, seeing communication. And uh, so that's what I've always been invested in figuring out what that is. And the great thing is because I've investigated it, neurotypical people don't necessarily know what it is that's missing when things go wrong. And I can say, I've got the answer. I've been looking at that for 40 years. Here you go. Here's the piece that you need. And it looks like magic and it's not. It's just, hey, you just, you just missed this piece. Uh, and so that's essentially what, what we've been teaching through my company. Okay. I have like 10 million questions <laughs> I want to ask you. Because one thing I find so inspiring is I think a lot of people have beliefs around, oh my gosh, I have a child that's on the spectrum. And that means they're not going to be able to do this. They're not going to be able to do that. But basically you are living proof that you can go and do extraordinary things beyond most people's mm. dreams. Like there should never be anything that holds you back. And, yeah. but the, I guess what I want to ask, and I don't know if you can share this, but like, how do you do it? So, so what are, how do you get all the bricks lined up perfectly? Do you have mm. a basic recipe or is it different for every person that you work with because they have different challenges uh so yes so, so there's not exactly a simple answer behind this but there's a few major principles that people can uh, have a think about here so so one of the big principles that i learned was working with the monks and i always i think back to them all the time when i'm coaching someone is i'm thinking if my monks were here before I taught them English, would they understand what this person is saying? So just to break that down, when I was working with them, if I wanted to teach them the word excited, if I didn't look excited and I didn't sound excited, then they had no idea what I was saying. I could be saying pineapple or cheese. They'd have no <laughs> idea. They're looking at each other like, what is he? Where is this going? I don't know. And so I learned that I had to be 100% 
congruent in my communication. The body language, the tone of voice and the words all had to go in the same direction because if, if the body language was going one way and the words were going another way, they had no idea what was happening. Now take that into an environment where someone does understand your words. Still, if your words are going in one direction, body language goes somewhere else. It's been proven that people believe, respond to, and remember the body language, not the words. That is overriding this. And so, you know, the key place where people can think about this day to day, I've coached countless people in business where someone's prepping for a huge conference and they start off and they say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to open up speaking to a thousand people and I'm going to say, um, hello, everyone. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, it's, a really, uh, it's a really positive day, and I'm so glad you're here. And I say, look, just tell your face, tell your body. They'll read more from that than they will do from the words that are on your script or on your PowerPoint behind you. You've got to be totally congruent. Uh, and so uh, that piece uh, for me is, has been critical. Now, there's a second piece that I learned uh, behind this, which is a real gift for me which was having this, having this lens on life of being high-functioning autistic. What that means is that you sort of see things on face value and it's hard to read the other piece. You have to work on that part. Uh, and so uh, I've often thought about this through the lens of being like a, uh, a nature documentary host. So we love David Attenborough over here. So if you think about it this way, imagine David Attenborough, where he, uh, imagine that, that that's me and I'm looking at these neurotypical people and I think, here are the neurotypical people. And they are engaged in something called banter. This is where they insult each other, laugh in their faces, and somehow this makes the relationship better. Why? I have no idea. And so that, that's what banter looks like to me. I see two people insult each other, laugh at each other, and somehow they have a better friendship. And then you can imagine me over the years trying this and people not wanting to spend time with me again, thinking, why did you just insult me and laugh at me? And I was thinking, but you just did that with Bob and, that, and it worked fine with Bob, what, what am I missing? So the key piece that I learned behind that, what is it that makes banter work? The way that banter works is the intention that goes behind it. The intention in banter is that you lift the other person, you raise, you elevate their state. So whatever you're saying or whatever you're doing, it is always uh, taken through that intention, that intention, everybody in the room or this person will be lifted by the fact that they know that, you know, I don't mean them any harm. There's a lift behind it. And so we take that as the intention through how we coach everyone in communication. And you'd be amazed the number of times this happens where someone is maybe preparing for an important meeting, an important one-to-one -one with their team, an important presentation. And uh, they'll start to talk it through with me and I'll stop them after a few minutes and say, how do you want the people in this audience to feel after they listen to this spreadsheet? And they'll say, what do you, what do you, what do you mean feel? Like I'm just, I'm gonna tell them the numbers and then I'm gonna leave the room. I say, okay, well, you could email it to them. You know, th these days we rarely get to be in a room with people. So if you're going to be in the room, you've got to think, what is my intention to work towards their state? And to get this right, they need to move from a negative or perhaps a neutral state towards a more positive state. You've got to figure out what that is. And everything you do, your body language, your voice, 
your words, if you're having this congruency, if it's flowing together, it is flowing towards that target to, to shift or elevate their state towards something that helps you in this situation. So those are sort of the two big principles uh, that, that go behind this. And then there's many more that we've studied and we published research on little changes you can make that make a massive difference and that work worldwide, always looking for those pieces that every single person can use uh, to, to increase their, their impact. Absolutely amazing. And I know you had one client that raised his revenue by $1 billion after using your techniques. Is that, is that right? I mean, that's just, yeah, that's, yeah. So we, so we, we really like to do this. I love this because we got work with all kinds of clients, but some clients come to us saying, look, we've got big pitches that we're going for. We want to uh, increase the number of people who say yes. And uh, what I love about it is there's a definite yes or no answer. You know, I love working with people in general to inc increase their, their confidence, their communication. Yeah. What I particularly like about those opportunities is you know if it's working or not. So this particular client, they came to us and they were pitching for big government contracts and they would generally win about one in four and they're working towards them sometimes for 12 months, sometimes for 18 months, build up on this, build the team, put the proposal together, uh, trying to work out logistics and pricing. And then they're building up to this final event where they sometimes go for a day or two days to do this final pitch. And so what we worked with uh, on them over the course of a year is before every pitch they did, we would do uh, usually a two day event and it's working through elements I've talked about so far, the congruency, the intention that's going behind it, but also teaching them really powerful storytelling and what we call the science of storytelling, something that will work on every human being, no matter what their culture is, their background, their preferences, this is going to help everybody because it's designed to sort of engage the brain the way the brain wants to be engaged. And so we coached them through this. And uh, during the course of that year, they went from winning one in four to winning every single pitch and getting over a, over a billion dollars in, in business. And it got to the point where the guy said, look, you, you put us in a hard position because now if we don't book you before the next one and we don't get it, uh, then you know, we're gonna be looking really bad. And I said, no, you, you guys have got this now. You know exactly what you need to do. So we, we like to teach things that people can then you know, put into action themselves. Okay, I don't know about everyone listening, but I feel like, okay, Richard, come, I, I wanna work with you. Like, this is incredible. Um, the science of storytelling. I mean, we all know how important storytelling is, but uh, I'm curious about the science of it. Mm. Yeah, so, so the, the science is really important uh, to me because I, I want to make sure that uh, whenever we're teaching things that we, that we can prove it, that there seem, seems to be some way that, that connects everyone. And particularly with my company, we've worked with people in 46 different countries. We've got people from all walk, walks of life, all industries, people aged from sort of 18 up to 65, 70, 80 sometimes. Uh, and we're, we're taking them through how to communicate. And the question we always had right from the beginning is, but will this work when I go and do this particular project in Thailand? Or will this work for me in this other industry? So we, just want, we always wanted to see, okay, let's get back to something that we know is going to work for everybody. Now, when it comes to the science of storytelling, uh, people may be aware that there's, you know, there's a lot of good research here. A lot of people may be familiar with The Hero with a Thousand Faces, which was a great piece of research done by Joseph Campbell a few decades ago, where he was a mythologist. And he looked at the way that people had told stories 
all the way around the world for, for thousands of years, civilizations that never had contact with each other. And what he discovered is even though they, they'd never met, they never spoke to each other, they were telling stories in the same way. And you could see the structure of those stories where you could then compare them to uh, more modern day storytellers like Shakespeare, who is telling stories in the same way and other people uh, in business, in, in the modern movie industry, we, we're using this same structure. So we put this into the hero's journey, which was a seven step, a 17 step, excuse me, uh, hero's journey, which Christopher Vogler then put into a 12 step journey that some people are now familiar. And the challenge that we found with this, teaching this uh, to our clients, is that if you want to send an email, you can't very well use the 12 steps of the hero's journey of the call to adventure and the denial of the quest and the meeting of the, the mentor and the allies in the innermost cave uh, and then send an email. It, it just doesn't work every day. So we decided to break it down into, okay, what are we really looking at here? And so instead we give people much shorter process just in four steps where we say to them, okay, what are we aiming to do? What is what does a great story do? Well, it engages the human mind in the way the mind wants to be engaged. So the three major areas of the mind you need to engage with a story is the survival mind, the emotional mind, and the logical mind. Now, if you think about you know, the average meeting that people have day after day, it's usually only really targeting the logical mind, which is why people, you know, they go and see uh, a presentation and they get bored in the first five slides. And afterwards you ask them, what do you remember? I don't know. I think he mentioned the number 72. I'm not really sure. But if you ask them about their favorite movie that they watched five years ago, they can tell you the plot, the subplot, their favorite lines from the movie, the underlying message and the moral and what it's meant to them. And so it's using that aspect of tying into things that are important to you. So the survival mind, first of all, every human being is compelled to avoid pain and to gain pleasure. Like you, you know this very well, it's taught by brilliant experts out there like Tony Robbins, yeah. I know you're so familiar <laughs> with. And so if you can talk to people and, and give them a story, whether this is about you know one-to-one -one with a member of staff or you're negotiating, uh, or you just want to influence your child in some way, then that little story around, okay, how do I help to frame this issue, this piece that I'd like this person to remember or, to, or for them to do, how do I frame it around the idea there is pain currently in this current situation, current challenges, uh, and those challenges could be in various different areas, and then talk about the context of future potential pleasure. Now, so take this into storytelling, just to give people an idea. Uh, everyone I'm sure is familiar with, you know, the Marvel movies, superhero movies. This is where you can see it so easily done. And then other movies do it in much more sort of uh, artistic and subtle way. But you, you take a typical superhero, you meet them at the beginning and you see their ordinary world, which is that they've got some kind of challenge at the moment where they're down on their luck, they don't have much money, they're having challenges with their family, you see the current challenges, which is that discussion you could have with your friend, your colleague, your child. These are the current challenges now. But here's the trick in the science of storytelling to talk about survival is what they then do is say, if nothing changes, this person's life will get much worse. So they get that kind of leverage of saying, look, if this person doesn't figure out how to pay their bills, they're never going to be able to see their family again. They're going to be ending up in prison. And so they've got a current challenge and much bigger challenges ahead. And the survival mind says, that sounds like pain. I'm moving. And immediately what stories do so well is they say, what if it's possible? So to take an example of um, Avatar, so, so I think number one at the box office worldwide. So, so we mentioned this because people have heard of it. Yes. At the beginning of the movie, you see a guy who is a, uh, a Marine 
who is in a wheelchair and looking at his dead twin brother. That's the opening of the movie. We find out that the, the earth is running out of energy resources and everybody's going to die because of it. That's the first two minutes. That's the current challenge and further challenges that may happen. And then this, this Marine is told, how would you like to walk again? How would you like to complete your twin brother's life's purpose and bring back this resource that will save mankind? And that's the first five minutes of the movie. So you go from current challenges, worst challenges that may happen, and then a better future. You can take that into talking to your boss tomorrow. You, you can say, okay, look, this is the current context we're dealing with. My concern is if we don't do something in three months, we could be here. Survival mind peaks off. Then you say, I wonder what if we could talk about a couple of things we could change that would mean we achieve this, we get to do this, and just imagine if this could happen. The emotional mind says, wow, I'd love to do that. Tell me how it works. And then you dive into the piece of saying, and this is how it works, because the mind is completely open and says, give me the information. I'd love to get it. You can give me spreadsheets. You can give me evidence. You can give me proof around this. I'm really interested. And so you basically set up the hero's journey. You say, current challenge, better future. Let's talk about the journey to get there. And then the last piece that we talk to people about so powerful is to say, what is the first step of the journey? Just agree that one thing that your child or your friend or your boss could do today that starts the journey. And once that happens, uh, then, then suddenly you, you know you're off and running. And so we talk to people in business about exactly how to build up a, um, a pitch or even if you're going for a job interview uh, or if you are doing one-to-ones with your team and you want to talk about their progress and changes in behavior, how you can do everything around that framework. And what's great is that it's going to engage every person's mind. As long as you understand the key piece, though, that, that we've um, learned around this is everybody's values are different. What they care about that is potentially causing them pain or what yes. may cause them greater pleasure. If you can really tap into what matters to this human being, then suddenly you can give them a hero's journey that really relates to them. And so that's core. If you're pitching for uh, you know, the biggest project, I think we helped somebody win was around uh, $800 million, just like one project. We said, like, let's tap into what is the story for them? What are their values? What are their challenges right now? How are you going to deliver on that piece? And suddenly you compel people to listen to 400 slides of bullet points because they are just mesmerized by, by the story of it. Richard, this is brilliant. This is gold. I mean, you are giving such a beautiful gift to, to everyone listening here. So I want to thank you thank so you. much for that. Now, let's go back to Lyft. Tell me what that means, where it came from. And you have a new book out. Is that correct? Or coming out? Coming out. Yeah, I'm working on it right now. This is um, so, so I, I wrote a book a couple of years back called uh, You Were Born to Speak, which is really empowering. I mean, to empower people with that notion that everybody has that opportunity to have their voice heard and getting back to the instincts that allow us uh, to do this. Uh, and the, the next book I'm now working on, Lift, is really that we, we realize that everything we do, everything we're aiming to teach our, our clients really has this one piece in mind, which is that great communication is where the other person or the other people, no matter how many people you're speaking to, one person or a thousand people, that they feel elevated by you being there. 
that by the time you leave, they feel they are moved from a negative or neutral towards a more positive state. And we teach people how to do this even in the toughest environment. So, so it's, it's sort of easy to achieve that if you are, as I sometimes get booked to be, an inspirational speaker at a conference. You've got permission to be inspiring people and, hey, they're having a good time. Everybody's making good sales. They've had a nice lunch. You go in, you inspire them, you walk off stage. Very straightforward. Uh, but this is the key that I, I like to talk to people about is that you can use it in tough moments as well. Mm -hmm. where we talk to people around sort of tough conflict resolution, where they may be dealing with situations where they come to us saying, look, we've got this really tough negotiation. They've got this huge supplier, uh, like a big well-known brand. And if we can't make this deal work, uh, we're going to miss our targets. We're not going to have it on our shelves. It could really impact our company. And, and sometimes they get so frustrated. They say, look, this person is just really trying to mess us up. They're trying to screw us over. They're trying to get me fired by what they're doing. T teach me how to manipulate them to do what I want them to do. And, and I say to them, look, that, that's not really, that's not who you want to be, but that's also not going to get you where you want to go. You know, short-term manipulation tactics exist, but once you leave the room and the person realizes what's happened, that's broken the relationship and your reputation forever. So what if you go in with the, uh, the intention of lift instead, that, that every person who you're dealing with, if they are bringing challenges to you if they are bringing uh, difficulties to your door in however you're interacting you've got to remember they're on their own hero's journey they have challenges they've got goals that they want to achieve and that is what is driving this situation now if you go in from the perspective of lift core to this for me and this is i think critical as something i, I would implore everybody to do this week just find a way to do this key to lift is that you look into the other person's eyes and you see the greatest version of this human being. You don't judge them by, okay, they, they tried to push me in this direction. They tried to get this from me. You see the greatest version of them. And you allow them through that conversation to live up to the greatest version of them. That means that you don't <clears throat> shame them for behavior. You don't tell them that they're a terrible human being. You really believe in all that they can be. And even if they don't give you what, they, what you want by the time the meeting finishes, they will see that you saw them they will feel like, oh, you know what? Maybe I'm making a mistake here. Maybe I'm moving in that wrong direction and, and actually I should change my mind on this. I don't feel good about pushing this person into a lose-lose or a lose-win situation. And the reason I think this is so powerful is there's a couple of people in my life who have done this to me, where if they didn't see the greatest version of me, I never would have been able to go on the adventures uh, that I've gone on today. So that, that hairdresser who I mentioned Yes. earlier he was just cutting my hair and I was he said what do you do and what, what are you interested in what have you done the last couple of years and he said you should come and teach people and I immediately thought I can't do that there's no way I don't have the confidence I'm shy I wouldn't know what to say to them and he was saying yeah teach them how to be better communicators and I thought well look I can teach monks how to speak English because I've got more English than they have. Like, I think that I'm qualified to do that. But to teach streetwise London teenagers how to be better with people, like I'm not really sure that's me. But he saw it inside of me and he, he wouldn't let me say no. He said, you're not paying for your haircut today. It's, it's on the house because you're coming back next Tuesday and you're going to do this. And because he saw that version of me, I left there thinking, okay, either I never come to that, back to this place, I never show my face in this town again, or I have to live up to what he's seen in me. And, and that's what we like to teach people day after day in communication, is that 
through doing that, through approaching your communication in that way, you're much more likely to elevate the state of people around you, which elevates your team, it elevates your, your family, your friendships, your community, by, by people lifting uh, together because, because you saw that in them. Uh, I just think it's so beautiful and so powerful and the energy around it is so good because like you're saying, you become the person that you are and that you're meant to be, which is, you know, kind and seeing the good in, in your, what I would call your worthy adversary. I mean, there are people that are there to challenge us. But if we change it from, oh, they're trying to break me down or they're trying to make me lose, if we change it to they're here to stretch me, I'm going to grow from mm -hmm. from, you know, my discussions with this person and I'm going to see them as someone that has come into my life to bring out the best in me. But in that same note, you're then finding the goodness in them, like what you're saying, you're seeing them at their highest potential. And I feel like we just need that more of that in the world. Imagine if we all looked at every other person that we come in contact with seeing them at their greatest self, at their highest potential. And this is also mm -hmm. making me think of, you know, you hear of families that have kids that maybe struggle with drugs and alcohol. And as yeah. long as whenever you look at them and communicate with them, you're looking at them as a drug addict or the alcoholic or this problem child, it's not likely that they're going to change. But if we mm -hmm. look at them as a human being that's got this incredible potential that has all these beautiful qualities and we keep the alcoholic, the, the drug taking, all that negative stuff out, mm -hmm. it gives them, like you're saying, the hairdresser saw something in you that you didn't really believe in at the point but he believed in it and that gave you hope and that made you think, well, maybe, maybe it is possible. And so mm -hmm. I think that this is just so beautiful and such an important message that you're getting out into the world. And I guess I, I have a question. So, so they saw this in you and this stays true to, to me. I always think people that achieve great things, they don't necessarily believe fully before they do it, that this is possible so often it is a seed planted by someone else that makes you think mm, well maybe i mean i guess i'll think about it because i think what he saw in you is you'd gone to the monastery and you had this incredible ability to teach them english through body language and maybe you didn't really know how you did it because you hadn't like come up with geez what was my formula what were the steps that i took so in a way, did he get you to also look back and say, okay, well, how did I make that work? And is that how you kind of came up with your formula that you now use with everyone? Yeah, I think there's, there's so much in, there's so much power in that, in uh, you know, the way that we view ourselves, we've got little stories in our mind of what we are and what we are not capable of. And when we go and meet somebody, like when I went to meet my hairdresser, at that point, I thought to myself, you know, I'd had uh, at that point, uh, you know, more than 20 years of my life uh, of thinking uh, people don't seem to react well to me. I seem to be on the outside here. I seem to be viewing communication through like everybody else is in a fishbowl and I'm on the outside trying to see how it all works. And I had various experiences that, that I touched on where I thought, OK, I, I, I'm not going to be able to do these certain things. He didn't have any of that. 
He didn't have, have any of that sort of uh, baggage or, or, or ideas around this. He just saw elements of my story and said, someone like you, like he saw me as I was at face value on that day. And he said, this is something that I know that you can do. And this is, you know, the power of getting a coach, the power of having a mentor in your life, or the power that I you know, hope everybody listening has had at least one person in their life, often like a grandparent who, who just sees the special element in you that nobody else can see. And it's always worth leaning into those voices I'm thinking if this person sees this in me, I am going to grow in this situation. Like you said, you know, challenges face us and we either grow because of them or we shrink back and say, I'm never facing that situation again, which I very nearly did uh, with my hairdresser thinking I, I can't possibly. And I just thought if he sees this, then I, I'm going to aim to live up to what he sees within me and you know I think it's it's kind of a funny uh, place to maybe find a mentor in, in a hairdressers uh, because you know we, we tend to open up to them in a way that we don't do with every other person that we might uh, bump into uh, day after day but to be that mentor uh, for somebody else is effectively taking their story and elevating it for them coming back to that concept of lift and you can do that for the people around you for your family for the people that you work with is besides the, the sort of the baggage or the, the negative story they may be telling themselves, you see a broader story mm-hmm. and encourage them just to start to take that, that first step forwards. And, you know, in, in coming back to that state of lift, in order for you to do this, if you're going to do this for others, you've got to make sure that you are lifting yourself as well so, so that you are not in a drained state or in a negative state when you have the opportunity to lift another human being. And, and part of that, is that, you know, I've been through many challenges over the last uh, couple of years in trying to run a business, a live events company through a pandemic that caused a a lockdown and and all sorts of other challenges uh, that we've gone through as well. And so a lesson that I've learned in this, because we've been through uh, battles, people trying to take clients away from us, even though we're all trying just to survive and and feed our teams and our families. And a, a real lesson I learned is whatever happens, don't let a situation and don't let another person take you away from who you are, from that core person that the heart that you have at the center of who you want to be at the center of your story. And we see this in so many different stories that that we could look at in in great books and uh, works of literature and movies as well, where we see a huge challenge that maybe a hero on a journey faces and they they sometimes let themselves down and they think, well, what's the point of the journey anymore? That person who believed in me was obviously wrong and suddenly everything comes crashing down, crashing down. Or they decide even in the face of my darkest cave, I am going to stay true to who I am as a human being and I will keep walking the path. And when you do that, the people around you notice. And if you do that in your toughest meetings at work or your toughest conversations with your family, then making sure that you stay true to that person, that lifted version of you, then that has a ripple effect on on those around you. Absolutely. And I love that because I always talk about going first in the sense of you get to decide what story you want to live and someone can come in and make you lose belief in yourself for a moment but no like no one else can tell you who you are what you're capable of what's possible like you need to go first in saying this is who i am and stay true to that just like you're saying so thank you richard for that and i guess also 
what I'm thinking of as well is how we communicate to ourselves, our own inner voice. We need to pay attention to all this stuff. Like say there's an athlete out there that has a big competition and they're really doubting themselves, but they want their intention is to go out and race to their potential or compete to their potential. You know, rather than sitting here, yeah, I can do it. You know, I'm strong. I've done the work. It's like, yes, you know, I can do it. I'm strong. I can, you know, I've done the work. It's bringing that same energy, that congruence to what you are saying to yourself. And also the intention, just like what you're, you're saying when we communicate with others, I think it's so relevant how we speak to ourselves as well. Mm, mm. I think that the, the way uh, that's reminded me of um, the way that we coach people around uh, communication too is, is often just breaking that little cycle of them thinking, oh, I don't think I can do this. I don't th think I can do this. And everything we have around how we teach people on, on body language, nonverbal communication is about bringing them back to themselves. So over the course of our lives, when we face challenging situations, when we get knockbacks, when we get rejections, that can build up a piece of armor and a potentially negative habits that we have when, when we interact with other people. And that then leads to uh, a self-fulfilling cycle of going into meetings thinking these people won't won't like me I'm going to put all this armor on me and hey presto they, they don't like you and so a lot of our coaching around the physical side is to get rid of that armor and so we talk about this cycle of you know people have beliefs that determine their actions that determine their results and those results then determine their beliefs actions and results and I realized a long time ago I could short circuit the system by teaching people body language and just going straight into the actions it would change the results that would thereby change their beliefs. And so, you know, for, as an example, coaching someone who is uh, afraid of public speaking in some way, they'd say, well, look, I, when I go into the team meeting, nobody listens to me. And I'll say, look, let, let's try this out. Let's get a few of your team here just to give a little uh, talk. Let me know what you're going to be saying. And what they're saying is good. They've got worthwhile ideas. And you can see that their passion is there. But there's these little habits that they're doing physically and vocally that are holding them back. And I'll say, OK, just pause for a moment. There's habits that you've got here that I don't think are you. And if you bring it all the way back to how you were born to stand, to how you were born to gesture, to how you were born to use your voice, this is how you would do it. Let me just work on a few of those things. Make minor shifts in what they're doing. Just free up their arms, free up that voice, get the posture working for them as well. And I'll say, say exactly the same words again and see what happens. And what happens is you change a little bit in their actions. The results change. The people around the room give them a huge round of applause and say, that's, that's it. You go into the next meeting, you do that. And their belief changes. They go, really? Yeah, you could do this. And then the action changes, results change, and it goes into a better self-fulfilling prophecy because you, you've shifted a couple of actions around yourself, brought yourself back to who you really are uh, and, and away you go to with the success you deserve. Amazing, amazing. Now say there's someone listening that doesn't have the resources to hire you or one of your people to coach them. Is there some takeaway, like just do this thing or these two things? I mean, I was just thinking with that last example, film yourself, you know, how you would normally give a talk and, and be there and look at it from a different perspective and say, oh, what am I doing that maybe is causing people not to listen to me? Like, do you have any um, suggestions for people that don't have the resources, but really want to change and do better when they have to speak in front of 
people at work or even people they just meet for the first time. Yeah, so I mean, you know, now thankfully all of us have access. Well, most people have access uh, to uh, to camera phones, where you know you don't have to have some expensive uh, camcorder equipment. Everybody pretty much can film themselves. And to take your example, I'd recommend always filming yourself. Don't do it for a mirror, because if you do it in front of the mirror, then you're starting to really get self-conscious. What you want to do is set the video up and pretend it's not even there, and imagine that you're speaking to the room, doing what you're going to do. And, and all of it has to have the intention of lift, which is by the end of what I say, they are going to get into an elevated or a more useful state through what I'm doing. Now, by doing that, what you're, what you're really doing is taking the, the um, self-consciousness away and focusing outward. And that's going to mean you're more likely to be connected with the people around you when you're in the process of doing it. It also means that you're then going to see exactly what you're actually doing uh, with, uh, with your gestures, with your, with your posture and, and so on. So you get yourself, see yourself in free flow. Now watch it back. And what I used to do for years is I, I would watch myself back and then I'd go and watch the news or I'd go and watch a brilliant presenter. And I think, okay, how is their posture different? How are their arm movements different? What are, what are they physically doing that is different to me? And I'll give you like a little practical tip uh, on this one, uh, which is that I noticed that what I used to do was I used to have my arms really close to my body when I spoke. And then I might move my arms backwards and forwards or they'd be quite low down <clears throat> and then they'd come back into the middle. And then I took a look at TV presenters and thought, whenever they gesture, their elbows move away from the body. I'm not doing that. And so if you just take a little movement, the elbows are slightly further away from the body. And then you gesture to the size of the space that the people are in the room, make sure it's as wide as they are. Then suddenly you physically have more presence. So to go back to uh, Dirty Dancing with Patrick Swayze, like uh, Swayze, your dance space, my dance space, I'm going to take it up. I'm physically going to take that up. And then I have more presence. Uh, and so by taking up that space, suddenly you're going to have more physical presence and you will feel more confident. When we take up more physical space, we think, oh, I'm not hiding from a saber-toothed tiger. I actually feel confident and safe in this situation. So it's a feedback mechanism. And so you, you can take that for all kinds of different situations. Watch what the experts do, film yourself. Am I doing it? Am I not? And, and key behind that is not that you become a robot, that you sort of are impersonating somebody else, but that you simply notice there's small changes that you can make that make a big difference. And what I always teach people is that there's fundamentals about this. So if you take the game of tennis, you take the top 10 men, top 10 women from any country in the world, they all do forehand, backhand, serve and volley. You cannot win the game of tennis if you can't do forehand, backhand, serve and volley. If you watch a game of tennis and think, okay, I don't know how to do backhand. I better practice that one. So you make sure you get to the point where you've got those. But every tennis player plays the game differently. And that's what you need to do as well. So I'm definitely not about copying. Just learn those fundamentals, then bring your personality out. And that's what the great thing is about the structure of storytelling. Once you know what it is, it's not something to uh, put you in a box. It's there to give you a framework to allow your expression, to allow your art to come out from you in a place that everybody else is going to be able to, uh, to, to hear it and be um, excited or empowered by it. So it's giving you that framework. Absolutely amazing. Boom, that's like mic drop, amazing advice. Richard, so from here, uh, what is the grand vision you have for the rest of your life from this point forward. What what so dreams my, do you have? What what visions? My, my my grand vision in one sentence is to tilt the world in a more positive direction. 
I feel like that is that is what I'm here to do. And, uh, and to do that in my own sort of special way, whatever is unique that I can bring to the party for everybody else. And uh, I, I'm on a mission really to help everybody feel that they have a voice, they can be heard, and they too can be tilting the world in a more positive direction. So I'm all about uh, making sure that people have the tools and they get freed up just like I was freed up by learning some of this information so they can go out there and really truly fulfill their potential. I mean, that's just, that just got me right in my heart. I love that so much. Okay. One last question. This kind of might be challenging, but if there were three takeaways for people listening about like from witnessing your life through this conversation, like Richard Newman, oh, I witnessed what he did with his life. What would those three takeaways be? You as a human being and your hero's journey, which I see it as. So I think um, a big takeaway for me is step into the challenge. Like don't steer away from it because it's outside the comfort zone. Everything that you want in your life is outside the comfort zone. Either, either you've got it already or you, you don't really want it. Anything that you want that you don't have is outside that comfort zone. So when you get the opportunity, don't take the easy path. Take the one that is going to challenge you because then you, you grow and you, you become more. And that, that's something that um, I, I feel really proud looking back at certain moments that I took the hard path which might be sometimes like take the ethical route. It's it, not going for the sort of the, the quick ways to, to win a situation, go the hard route and really build your skills and really, really figure out things. If there's an area that challenges you, dive your, your, yourself head first into that area. Uh, I think the um, second major lesson that I have certainly, I mean, you can see some books behind me here, but there's hundreds upstairs, is, is dive head first into other people's knowledge. It, other people have come here before us and they've figured out the same challenges that we're going through. So, so I like to dive into great books all the time just to, to give myself that, that knowledge and that inspiration to get out of my own head in, into somebody else's head. Yes. Um, and, and I think the other piece that I would say with, you know, with this relatively recent uh, diagnosis with the high functioning autism is that you know, I've been aware of it for a long time but hadn't really put my finger on it. And, and now that I, I got it, initially I felt kind of vulnerable because of it and thought, wow, is this like, is this some, some kind of limitation then that, that I have? And I realized, I thought, hang on a second, before I had that official diagnosis, I'd always looked at this like, I see the world differently and that's okay. That's good. That gives me something that other people don't have that I can share with them as my gift. And so I think if there is something that is different about you from other people, completely embrace that because we don't want everybody to be the same. The, the magic of humanity is that we are all different. We've all got something different that we can bring to the global tribe. So whatever that is for you, bring it because we definitely need it. Wow. Richard, I, I want to thank you so much. You are extraordinary. I mean, I could sit here and talk to you for another two hours, but I won't do that because <laughs> I respect your time, but I want to thank you for all, uh, Number one, the beautiful gift that you are in this world and the incredible gift you've given all my listeners, our listeners. Um, so thank you so much. And I cannot wait to just follow your journey. I can't wait to get Lyft when it's out. Where can everybody continue to follow you, hear from you, learn from you? 
well, well, the best place to go if people are interested is if you go to ukbodytalk.com. Uh, if you go on there to the resources page, we've got loads of videos on there, articles on there, some from me, some from my brilliant team who've got knowledge in all kinds of different areas. If you've been fascinated about the ideas around body language and storytelling and objections and all this sort of stuff, we've got loads of stuff on there that people can go and access for free. And if you want to find me online, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, uh, which is Richard Newman from Body Talk. And you can find me on Instagram at Richard Newman Speaks. Amazing. Thank you, Richard. And I hope to get to speak with you again somewhere along the line. Um, you're such a gift. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening and sharing this precious time with me. Please remember to subscribe and to leave me a review. You can find me on Instagram at Siri Lindley, Facebook Siri Lindley, and Twitter at Seltz, S-E-L-T-S. You can also reach me via email at info at Have an amazing day and shine on.